Welcome to the Disruptors Podcast. I'm Alexandria. And I'm Jasleen. We're here to disrupt the tech industry by connecting diverse job seekers with inclusive organizations where talent from communities that are underrepresented can thrive. Whether you're a job seeker who belongs to an underrepresented group, a tech employer interested in learning how to attract diverse talent, or a diversity, equity, and inclusion champion looking for resources, we have got you covered. Here's to disrupting. All right, we're live. Welcome. I am Jasleen. I am co-founder of The Disruptors, and I'm a career coach for women in tech, and I also have an HR background, and so which really lends itself to the conversation we're having today on inclusive hiring practices. And I'll pass it over to Alexandria to introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Jocelyn. I am Alexandra. I am the other co-founder of The Disruptors. Uh, my background originally comes out of the therapy space. I pivoted into tech, selling face first into it, and now I am an executive coach for women in tech. Uh, this is uh, Inclusive hiring is definitely a subject that is near and dear to my heart, and I think it's super, super important to recognize whether you have inclusive hiring practices or not, so I'm super excited to have this chat with you today, Jocelyn. Awesome. So let's jump into the question. So I guess today we're really, we want to highlight all the red flags for you because this is such a meaty topic. We could really go down so many lanes, but we wanted to really simplify it into something that's actionable for you. So we're really just highlighting five of the red flags. Yeah, but before we do that, I think I actually want us to define what an inclusive hiring practice is. So how would you define that, Jasleen? Yeah, so... It's really important to define it because I think sometimes we think we have an inclusive hiring practice when we don't. And I wanted to first share a stat with you to kind of highlight that. So this study came out of Harvard and they did a study with recruiters who were rating STEM candidates. And basically uh, women and BIPOC candidates were rated significantly lower than white men. So even if the credentials were the same. And so all of it's important to know that all these recruiters um, self-identified as people who were actively involved in diversity recruitment. And so just to give you insight into that study, um, basically, if you were woman or BIPOC to get the same rating as a white man with a 3.7 GPA, you had to have a 4.0 GPA, as well as when they looked at really elite internships that they had, it had a 50% higher rating for the white men than it did for BIPOC or women candidates. So really when we're defining inclusive hiring, it's really important, um, you know, in general, it's really about having a hiring practice that's designed to create an equitable and inclusive experience from recruitment to offer to level the playing field for all candidates. But you really wanna, this is a very general, vague definition. So you really wanna do the work to define how you're gonna measure that yourself as you're going through this. How will you know, you know, where are you now? Where are the gaps? And as we're talking through these red flags, I think, it will help you kind of think about how you might define that. So really go back and define that for yourself. Um, And we also want to talk about why should you even care about this? Like most of you, if you're tuning in today, you probably do care about this. But if you don't, um, Alexandria, what do you think? Why should we really care about inclusive hiring? I think there's a lot of reasons why we should care. But if we're just focusing in on the business reasons why you should care, If you have an inclusive hiring practice, then that allows you to actually create more diverse teams. And it's been proven that more diverse teams increase innovation, they increase profitability, they increase sustainability of the company as a whole. So if you are just focused in on, I don't know, whatever problem it is that you're solving, but you have a homogeneous team, you're only going to be able to solve that problem with the experiences brought to you by that team and the thoughts that are brought to you by that team. But if you can have diversity in that thought and diversity of background and experience and education and all of those different pieces, then you can expand out your solution, which means that you have better solutions and you can move faster than if you're just stuck in the same echo chamber of thought. So it makes good business sense to have an inclusive hiring practice because that's how you actually get to diverse teams, which 
has been proven time and time again to be good for business. Awesome. So it's not just a nice thing to do. It's actually good for your business. If your workforce really represents your customer base, you're going to be able to connect and market to them better. So, and there's a lot of research on this that proves that as well as, as Alexandria spoke to. Um, and also I just wanted to highlight a, a call to action for you. And I think we'll, we'll put this in the comments. Um, I also wrote a blog post, by the way, um, so that's on the Disruptors website. So if, if you don't want to take notes as we're going through this, you don't have to, because all of this is going to be in that blog post. I actually didn't put this in there, but I want to, I, I probably will go and edit and add this is the implicit association test. Mm -hmm. I really, I know I shared this with you, Alexandria, because I had an icky, icky feeling when I took this test, um, because as someone who's been actively doing the work. I still have biases. And that was like a real light bulb moment for me because I took this test probably 10 years ago and I took it again. Um, I think it was the same test, but results were very similar. And there's so di there's different, um, there's different biases that you can test, whether it's light skin, dark skin, gender, all of these sorts of tests. So you can kind of go through and think about who are you really trying to recruit? And 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 I challenge you to take that test for yourself and see what your results are. Mm -hmm. And not in a way to feel guilty about it or shameful about it, but just to kind of understand that even if you've been actively doing this work like us, you still are conditioned by society, by the images we see, by the stereotypes, everything. And so it's, it's not about eliminating bias. It's about highlighting this and understanding where it is so you can build an inclusive hiring system to mitigate any sort of decisions that are made from bias and not from actually assessing the quality of the candidate. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely want to echo everything that you just said, because checking your bias is a huge piece of this work. And I really appreciate that you point out that even you and I who have been doing this work for a long time, it still exists. We still have work to do. And so by just admitting that bias is a thing, because that's how our brains work and we are generalizers and pattern seekers, we have to continuously draw attention to the work and checking those biases so that they become... We yeah. become aware. Even if you're part of the marginalized group that you're trying to recruit. Right. And so if you have, like, you can still have internalized racism, internalized misogyny, internalized homophobia, all the isms, right? And so it's important to know that because you might be even assessing people that do look and sound similar to you. You may be, um, you may be assessing them with a harsher lens. Uh, and you may be applying that to yourself, too. So I feel like when you do this work, it's it's really liberating as well because you learn to be easier on yourself. Um, but that being said, let's jump into the red flag, shall we? Yeah, we'll just plug that we are going to dive a little bit deeper into bias next month. So make sure you keep an eye out on our calendar for that because we're going to talk very specifically about some biases that show up with ease, unfortunately, in the mm -hmm. tech world. And so we'll dive into those and help you uncover some of those next month. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the red flag. So what is the first red flag that you would say that companies need to check for to see if they have inclusive hiring practices or not? Yeah, so the first one is pretty obvious. It's diverse candidates are not applying. And so this is why I said it's really important to define what inclusive hiring is for you because you need to understand what is the diversity you're looking for. And so if you're not seeing those candidates, you have to think about why aren't they applying? Is it that you don't have representation on your website or your marketing materials or on your social channels? Um, is it in the job description? Is it the language that you're using? And there's a lot of research on this. And in the blog post, I talk about some of the words that will, um, will might hinder someone who is underrepresented from applying. Mm -hmm. um, and we can help you with this as well because we help with crafting the job description. And then also, um, you know, just looking at... Um, how you're defining that as a whole on your website and your vision statement, your mission statement, all the value signals that are, are there in the language. So really going through all of your branding with a fine tooth comb, with a thinking partner, with someone who has this sort of lens and really understanding how others are viewing your company. Because it's chances are if diverse candidates aren't applying, diverse customers might not also be buying. So it's really important to make that connection. 
And yeah. so next red flag, do you want to, or did you have anything else to say about that? Well, so I want to say that not only can we help you with that, if you're not ready to hire some DEI consultants or do that, but you want to kind of get an idea of like, okay, what's going on with our job descriptions? There are tools that you can use online. Textio is a great one to help you get to a gender neutral language space. And I really want to highlight how important the choice of language is in your job descriptions on your website, when you're talking to people, because that's one of the places that bias shows up. And so we don't even necessarily think about it because we're so used to using certain words or nomenclature and it just becomes normalized that you don't realize the effect it actually has. So if your job descriptions are heavy masculine, it's going to deter women identifying people from applying for the jobs. And that's an easy change, right? You just shift some of the language that you're using and you're conveying the same idea but in a more inclusive way. So look out for some tools that can help you if you aren't ready to hire consultants. But if you do need the extra help and you want to have that, you know, people like us can definitely help that. But moving on to the next flag. So let's just say you have diverse candidates who are applying, but your candidates are dropping off in the interview process, specifically if they're dropping off very early, like after the first interview or so, they remove themselves from the candidacy pool. That's a huge, huge red flag. That means that something is happening in your interview process that's deterring them from wanting to continue. So it could be in your job description, it could be in the interviews themselves, how you gave them instructions on the interviews. What are some other thoughts you have, Jasleen, about why candidates would be dropping off after that first round? I'm going to hold my thought on this one because it's connected to one of our other red flags. <laughs> but uh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go there yet. But you really need to look at everything, like how how you're structuring the interview questions, who you're bringing into the, like you said, the interview panel is diverse. Who are you bringing in, and how much diversity training do they have? Mm -hmm. In terms of like really, truly understanding it, not just how a lot of people understand it as a buzzword and we don't want to exclude people. Yes, but how are we really, you know, using a lot of cultural signals that are off-putting? Mm -hmm. And again, this even goes back to the language in the job description, but, you know, saying things like, we're like a family here, or, you know, that's like a common one where people say, okay, so basically I have to sacrifice my whole life to work at this company, or, you know, we're like a startup. So that might be a signal that they're going to try to, you know, lowball me on an offer. And so this is actually really relevant, not just for your diverse employees, but for all of your candidates. But when you're looking at diverse candidates, if you're, if you're used to being marginalized, and you're used to reading these signals, you're going to pick up on them faster than someone else might. Because someone else might be used to, you know, a little, a little bit of a sense of entitlement that they know that what they're going to get is fair. Mm -hmm. So really always looking at it from that lens. Yeah, I think that's really important to highlight is people who have been historically marginalized and the patterns that they look out for to keep themselves safe you may not even realize your signaling are true in your culture mm -hmm. because you haven't been active in making sure that you've changed them. And so while you may have the intention to not exclude, if you are not actively working towards including, mm -hmm. then there's bias there and there's practices that are excluding because yeah. you haven't been intentional about it. You have to be intentional. This is active work. Yeah. And like, and going back to that business case for DEI as well, mm -hmm. When you're decentering yourself in the hiring process, you're decentering yourself in everything you do. And so, you know, we've, I think I shared on, on the page yesterday, a lot of DEI is being defunded right now. And so this is an opportunity, first of all, I mean, we could talk about that and why that's awful because of the commitments that were made and people are going back on that. But it is also an opportunity to understand that, you know, DEI starts with you. It's about the inner work. Mm -hmm. It should always be happening. It's not something we're outsourcing anyways. Right. We, we, we partner with people to help us understand our biases and help us ask the right questions. And again, the same questions that are going to help you really thrive in your business as well. Well, and I think that goes back to some of the things that you've talked about too, with DEI only matters when it's hard. 
Mm. Right. Otherwise it's performative and checking the box. Like it's active work that never stops. And so the times when it's hard is when it matters the most Mm -hmm. because that's how you get through to the other side, right? Like right now it's survival mode for a lot of companies. Well, you need that innovation. You need that influx of thought and difference to be able to get you through this space that's hard right now. And so not dedicating yourself to the DEI work, you're just harming your business and everybody else who's still in this with you. And so expanding the work in DEI and continuing to invest in it is going to be what helps you move your business forward and get through this recession that a lot of companies are feeling the weight of. It's how you build resilience with your business too. Because when you say DEI is hard, you know, it is hard. It can be hard when you start, but it's like a muscle that you build, right? And so we're here to help people build that muscle because when you're really looking at everything through a lens of inclusion and you're building that muscle, eventually it will become easier. So when you see a lot of these businesses like going through the PR crisis, right? Going through the, you know, financial crisis, this kind of muscle of inclusion, it helps you with so many aspects. It helps you with accountability. It helps you with, because when you're people focused, mm-hmm. like, and a lot of tech companies to thrive, you really do need to be people focused and you need to be anticipating the needs of people today and in the future. And so again, it's hard work, but as you build this muscle, it becomes a more ingrained part of your culture and way of being and make, and it helps you make better business decisions. Mm-hmm. And I want to highlight everything you just said, like it's a muscle, right? It grows mm-hmm. just like any other skill that you're working on. They all require intention and work, but then you grow and you become better and it becomes like second nature. And so it's like Maya Angela says, like, once you know better, do better. Well, we're mm-hmm. in that place now. We have the ability to know better. And so we have the ability to do better, which creates a better world for everybody. And that's the argument that we make all the time for why not just tech industry, but all industries should be human first. Yeah. We are always human. That's not going to change. We don't clock in and become something else. And so prioritizing the human element is what will allow us to all thrive. Totally. It's a muscle you build. You'll always still have blind spots, you, but the muscle is in understanding how to spot, spot the blind spots, how to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I think I've told, I've, I've kind of sold that idea of the return on investment for the business as well, because those thoughtful questions that inclusion lens helps you include everyone and wants everyone to be a part of your business. Mm-hmm. And so... I'll move on to the next red flag. And this one's a bit controversial because um, you kind of have to think about this through a critical lens. And so the red flag is relying heavily on employee referral programs. And so if you're a recruiter watching this um, or if you've, you're involved in this space, you, you know that the data is clear that if you have an ERP program, it's going to reduce your recruitment costs. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a higher likelihood of offer accepted. You're going to have higher retention rates, higher uh, likelihood that you're getting a qualified candidates. So we're not saying to stop uh, all ERPs. We're not saying that at all. But if your company is in a place where you're already lacking diversity, most of the people are going to recruit people that are more similar to themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, which is okay if they're a good worker and you want to be recruiting those same skills, but that could unintentionally be limiting Um, access for underrepresented groups to get into the company. So it's really about expanding your sourcing options. And so at Disruptors, we also provide um, hands-on sourcing where we will work with you um, in terms of getting you a qualified and diverse candidate um, and also formalizing your ERP, formalizing that employee referral program with an educational lens on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So your employees are really understanding why it's valuable to the company and how they can think critically as well about who they're referring and how they might expand mm-hmm. in terms of where, who they're, um, whose names they're um, putting forward for, for roles. Yeah, I agree. The employee referral can be great 
it's an area of caution because people are pulling in from their own networks. And so being able to even think critically about what does your own network even look like? If you are an individual contributor and you are starting to not see diversity in a company that you work for and you've referred people in, starting to think, what does my own network look like? And am I diversifying my own network so that I personally can grow? Yeah. Another area of opportunity, even if you aren't on the hiring committee, you aren't in leadership, any of those things, and you think this doesn't apply, it still does. Yeah. It's worth cautioning. Yeah. And I think for small businesses, like that can be your strength. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, that's how they get their business off the ground and raise money and and get the word out there is through their networks. But this is now just taking it to the next level of saying, okay, now I'm, it's just like when you think about expanding into new markets, right? It's really just, how are you now? This is how you got here. It's not about shame or blame or any of those things. If your organization looks really white or if it looks really masculine, mm -hmm. that's okay. But recognizing, okay, that's the strength that got you here. Now, how are you expanding? How are you really expanding those networks? Yeah. And that moves us into the other red flag that we're going to talk about. Your interviews are informal or highly feeling based. And that's a red flag for a lot of reasons, right? When it's informal, tons of bias gets to be entered into the equation. And the feelings based, those aren't measurable or quantifiable. And again, bias is rampant in those areas, right? When you're just like, oh, they don't feel like a salesperson. What does that mean, right? Like, what are you actually noticing and is it measurable or is that bias talking? Do they just not look like what your normalization view of what a salesperson looks like? Because if it, that's the case, that's bias and it's an opportunity to check it and to adjust it. So how would you suggest if they have informal interview practices, how would they solve that? So, yeah, you really want to have a structured interview and you want to make sure the questions that you're asking are open-ended questions that allow people to expand. You want to make sure those questions are tied to, in the HR world, we called it a bona fide occupational requirement. So something that they really need to do to be able to do the job. Mm -hmm. And when you are looking at culture fit, it's really important to understand when you're you're putting too much emphasis on culture fit and why you're putting an emphasis on culture fit and how the culture fit criteria might be excluding underrepresented groups, mm -hmm. right? So if you're an organization that likes to go to sporting events on the weekends and you're talking about that and you're like, oh, this person doesn't really feel like someone we can. I have heard recruiters even say that like or, or maybe not official recruiters, but people who who are hiring into the business say, can I go for a beer with this person after work? Right. Mm -hmm. So who might you be excluding like from certain cultures that maybe that isn't what they do. And so really thinking about, OK, is my interview structured and am I following the same process for every candidate? Mm -hmm. How am I assessing that criteria? How am I making sure that I'm filtering out the bias and really focused on, can this person do the job? Mm -hmm. That's, that's key. Cause I think when we talk about DEI, there's this, there's this sort of misconception that we're saying, let's lower the bar for diverse candidates. No, 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 no. We are not lowering the bar. We are leveling or raising the playing field uh, mm -hmm. is, is how I would look at it. We're really raising the playing field so that your company can thrive. And really, because like, like you said at the beginning, like there is a research shows a direct correlation between high skilled, qualified, diverse talent and an increased level in innovation and economic performance. So it's really shifting our mindset to these structure questions are not just to make, you know, they're, they're not just fluff just to appear like we're doing the right thing. It's really about raising the playing field and raising the level of your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The pieces I want to add there, the making sure you have the same interview process includes the same interview questions. If you are asking all the candidates the same questions, then you get the same framing in response. So you can actually compare them as apples to apples. If you don't ask the same questions, then you don't actually have grounds for comparison. 
because you're trying to take different responses from different things. Having the interview questions ahead of time also helps you to really hone in on what are we trying to get from this question? Mm -hmm. It also helps when you go through the review process of candidates. Did we actually get the information we needed? Are we making an informed decision because we asked the questions to actually tell us what we need to know? There's all kinds of research into how you ask questions and the framing and the responses that you're going to get back. But having set inclusive interview questions is a big way that you can level the playing, raise the playing field, but also Mm -hmm. get the information that you need so you can make more effective hiring decisions. Mm-hmm. And then I want to add the piece with the culture fit that we've been talking about recently and not even interviewing for the culture fit, because that's, again, creating more homogeneous teams, but the culture add, because you yes. can only think in the ways that you can think and the experience that you have. So what could this person add to your yep. culture? How could they shift it in a way that would be helpful or beneficial or challenge you in some way as a team so that you can grow? Growth doesn't happen in the comfort zone. It happens at the edge. So what could they add to the culture? And do you need that? And being aware of the shortfalls of the culture that you currently have. Absolutely. That's that's a good point. It's not about culture fit. It's about culture add. And I also want to add to this because, you know, we've been talking about like structured questions, Mm -hmm. but even looking at your notes in the interview in terms of the structure of the notes you're taking. Mm -hmm. And so I'll give you an example. I coach a lot of women in tech who are in leadership or aspire to leadership. And a lot of the feedback they get and research backs this up to is based on style And so it's like, she doesn't have leadership presence Mm -hmm. or she comes across as too aggressive, right? Mm -hmm. Where men will get actionable feedback where it's this person, you know, he's really great, but he really needs to learn this technical skill. Mm -hmm. So it's something that they can take and actually action Mm -hmm. where sometimes for women, it's really, again, a cultural thing where it's, It's we are allowed to have masculine traits, but only within a narrow band of accepted behaviors. And so really paying attention to the notes and comparing that to your, you know, the white versus BIPOC, the women versus the men, and really looking at the notes that you're taking and how that might be seen through a different lens. Which is the importance of having diverse interview panels. And being able to have, if you have diversity in your interview panel, you also have the opportunity to check one another's bias in that moment and like ask questions like, what do you mean she was too aggressive? And then you can have a real conversation about what they're intending and saying there and actually get to something measurable or something actionable versus just sitting in your own echo chamber. And so that's why panels are always recommended as well. And the more diverse you can make the panel, the better, because then you have multiple views and different biases that can be checked against one another. Yeah. And also checking to make sure that, you know, it again, it's not performative. Mm-hmm. Just because you have a diverse panel doesn't mean that everyone has the same level of DEI competence. So, some, again, to my point about the internalized isms, mm-hmm. right? And so just because someone is diverse doesn't mean that they're not also looking at it through that lens. So it's important to think about it through all of these steps that we we talk about because yeah, diversity representation. Yes. It's, it's great because it's giving a value signal to that candidate. But if the, the men in that panel are over speaking over the women or, you know, not listening to some of the concerns or if there's internalized, uh, you know, misogyny or racism happening within the team, that also needs to be checked in a way, in a very mindful way, because you can't, you, everyone has different experiences. So even within an underrepresented group, you're not a monolith. It's it, that, that group is not a monolith. And so understanding the nuances and making sure, again, it's not just about you're doing one thing to say, oh yeah, we're, we've got to cover because we have a diverse panel, but really looking at it again from the attraction and recruitment all, all the way through offer and onboarding and retention. 
Yeah, absolutely. Which I think leads us to our last red flag that we're going to talk about today. And so before I have Jasleen talk about that one, if anybody watching has any questions or comments, please come in and we'll answer those questions. Uh, go ahead, Jasleen. What is our last red yeah. flag we want to talk about? The last one, that's when I, I kind of, I wanted to jump to talking about this one before when we were talking about candidates dropping off in the interview. And so sometimes that could be because of this red flag, which is that your selection process is overcomplicated. Mm -hmm. And so I have scoured, you know, the internet and academic journals for, for proof that having multiple steps actually produces a, qual a better quality candidate. And there's no proof of this. Um, and so what it ends up doing is the more steps you have, the more time it takes, the more you're introducing bias because within every step there's going to be. And so if you think about it as adding layers and layers of bias for the sake of what, because, um, you know, I think sometimes people think, no, this person needs to meet everyone on the team. When you have that mentality, what you're really thinking is everyone has to like this person. Mm -hmm. Right. And so often first impressions when it, and again, when we go into the series of bias, um, you know, I, I think we're doing this in January. Yes. I'm biased. So when we, when we go into bias, we'll, we'll speak to this on a deeper level, but similar to me, bias is, is one of them. And so we are going to gravitate toward people who remind us of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so the more you're like, okay, we have to meet everyone on the team that's like, okay, do we like this person, aka, are they similar to us? And also, from a qualification standpoint, there isn't, a, isn't really a lot of justification. And so people often will say, okay, you have to do this take-home assignment, you have to do a technical interview, uh, a behavioral-based interview, and then, you know, it, it gets into five, six, seven rounds, where then for that candidate, applying for a job becomes a full-time job. And mm -hmm. so... Again, like when when we talk about candidates dropping off, this is another this is another way that this can happen. And so how are you really improving the candidate experience so that you're not only just losing your diverse talent because you're losing all your top talent if it's cumbersome. Mm -hmm. If you're really making people jump through hoops, that's a signal to them, especially if you're a good candidate, that why am I working so hard? I know why am I working so hard to get into this company? This is probably just a sign of things to come. And I tell this to my clients that you're probably going to have to be jumping through hoops to get a promotion, to, you know, get sort any other sort of career advancing opportunity to get people to take you seriously. So really think about simplifying that process, making sure everything is tied to relevant knowledge, skills, and abilities, mm -hmm. and place a lower emphasis on the subjective criteria. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that I want to call out the technical interview. That's a very common thing in the tech industry, depending on the position that you're in, and that there is a level of necessity to it. So we aren't saying that you don't have technical interviews, but what does your technical interview entail? Uh, how can you create more inclusivity in it and making it so it's more accessible? And so it's not getting rid of it necessarily. It's just making sure, have you checked in with your process? And is there a reason that is directly correlated to quantifiable skills that you can draw that to? Was it just that you do it because everybody else is doing it? Or is there a real reason and you can measure the, the results that you're getting out of it? And thinking about the amount of interviews that you have and how cumbersome that could be to somebody who's applying for jobs. Are you allowing remote versus requiring in person? There's a lot of different ways that you can make interviewing simple and more accessible for more people. And keeping in mind, what kind of gatekeeping are you doing by not making them accessible? Or and that's one of the ways we're trying to disrupt this is by saying, you know, we, we work with partners, the Qualathons with Tech Check, where candidates are upskilling or, or, or doing technical projects where we can really vet these candidates to, 
to prove that they have the ability and the technical know-how to do the job. And that way, if they're if you're working with these organizations, the candidate's only having to go through these kind of things once. Mm -hmm. And so that it's validated. And then you don't have to. And that also is going to save you a lot of money and it's going to save you time. Mm -hmm. And it's going to help you then focus those resources on bringing that employee on board, having a proper training and onboarding process, getting them up to speed faster. It just makes sense. Like it's going to save like hundreds of thousands of dollars for your business in the long run. If, mm -hmm. in, if you're reducing your recruitment costs and you're able to get your employee up to speed faster and delivering results and adding value to the business faster. Mm -hmm. And I want to call out some attention to that too, right? Like the small and medium-sized businesses, they there's a lot of emphasis on we need qualified candidates who can just like hit the ground running. And that's great. And I understand like why you would want and need that, right? Business doesn't stop moving. And being aware that all jobs, all industries, there's a learning curve. Your company is different than any other company that they've worked at before. There is still going to be a learning curve. And while you can have like base skills, right? If you're hiring for an IT position, like they need to know what servers are and how they operate and networking or whatever it is that's required in their IT position. And there's still going to be a learning curve of your processes, your systems, your servers. And so being more open to the learning space and how can you, with your onboarding process, create that on-ramp that's as easy as possible to go up? Are you actually providing mentoring? Are you actually providing training? Are you setting that person coming onto your company brand new for yeah. success? Yeah. Just learning the company acronyms can take months, you know, like, like just getting up to speed with the acronyms and the lingo that they're using. And they're like, oh, we called it this at my last company or you're new to the corporate world. And, you know, it's just it's it's a new language you're learning. And so it, it just it really simplifying it is better for everyone. And so I used to actually work in the onboarding department and oh my gosh, sometimes it was just like getting the computer ordered and getting everything that the person needed and like all of the logistical components. It it costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. And so, yeah, we want you to get as qualified of a, of a candidate as you can. We want to make sure that you're bringing in diverse talent. We want to make sure that your business is thriving and doing it in a way that's cost effective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So we don't have any comments happening, but I want to go back over and just quick review of the red flag and then like one thing that can be done to look at it. Yeah. So the first red flag, diverse candidates aren't even applying. Your first place to look is going to be in your job descriptions and how are you representing your company on the face as a company that diverse talent would want to apply for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the next red flag is the candidates are dropping off in the first interview. And so what you can do here is audit your applicant tracking system, look for the built-in bias, and make sure you're recruiting a diverse interview panel. The next one is you are relying very heavily on an employee referral program and you don't have a diverse talent pool already in your company. That's a red flag because it is potentially going to just continue with having not diverse talent coming into the pipeline. So reviewing and formalizing your employee review process or referral process, excuse me, as well as educating your employees on diversity and checking bias so that they can expand their own networks and bring in more diverse talent through the referral program. Yeah. And the fourth red flag is your interviews are feelings based or very informal conversational. And so what you can do about that is make sure that you have a structured, consistent interview. Make sure all the questions are tied to a legitimate knowledge, skill or ability open ended, but also a structured way of taking in the information and comparing apples to apples, again, diverse interview panel is going to help you with this as well. Mm -hmm. And the last one, your selection process or your interview process is overcomplicated. So taking a look at your entire interview and selection process, 
and you have opportunities to simplify it. Is every piece of your process actually required and directly connectable to a thing that you need from the interview process to make sure that you have a qualified candidate at the end of your selection process? Mm -hmm. And I want to mention too, um, so we, we're talking a lot about data and structure in the recruitment process. And so we have a partner called Teamable who helps immensely in this space. And so we will be talking to them. Is it next week? Sorry? February. In February. Okay. So they're going to come on with us in February, but I invite you to go and check out their website and look at what they have to offer as well. And also DM us, talk to us if you need help creating a standard process, because we help more than with just this aspect. We really look at your entire DEI strategy, help you understand the gaps not in a way that's overwhelming, but in a way that we're looking at low-hanging fruit first, looking at a, way, at a way that is strategic tied to your business outcomes that you want to see, as well as, you know, your your market, your talent pool, really strategizing this from, um, from your perspective and your needs. So please do reach out to us. There's also a form um, that will invite you to fill out. So if you want to... Um, if you're an inclusive employer, you want to be an inclusive employer, you, you're hiring tech talent, go to the jobdisruptors.com website and you want to complete the form. You want to click on I'm hiring, complete that form. And when you do that, you're going to get a free DEI evaluation, either from Alexandria or myself, where you will have some quick actionable steps and a really good idea of where you are and what work needs to be done. And I think we have a question coming in as well. As leader in tech, do you have suggestions on how to diversify my network? Yeah, that's a great question. So diversifying your network, I would say, always starts with looking at who is in your network right now. And then you can ask within your network, hey, do you know anybody that would be interesting for me to talk to to expand my area of knowledge and like being specific in whatever area of knowledge that you're trying to expand, but also just start reaching out on LinkedIn, looking at LinkedIn and looking for other tech leaders in your same position that are working for different companies that came from different schools than you, that look different than you. And just saying, hey, I would be interested in learning about your experience in this position with this company. Would you be willing to talk with me? Uh, networking events are a good way to do that. Looking for uh, open houses, like there are different networking uh, communities that are BIPOC focused or women focused or LGBTQIA focused. And sometimes they have open houses. So even if you are not a member of that community, you can come in and be a part of that networking event as well. Uh, be cognizant if they are open or not, because they may be attempting to create a safe space and they would want it for people who are only within that community. But there is outreach opportunity there, too. Yeah. Uh, what other thoughts do you have, Jessica? I've lost my thoughts on this because I think this is one that's tricky. So when you look around and you say, OK, all my friends and colleagues are white, you know, or all my friends and colleagues are straight or all my whatever it is. Right. And you're really looking to learn about this. It can be tricky because you can come across as performative. And so my biggest piece of advice is start doing the anti-racism work, um, you know, on your own. Um, I, I'm a part of a, a Facebook group. It's it's called Moms Against Racism, but like I think it's open to any woman who wants to join. And really any sort of space, any sort of anti-racism space, anti-whatever space, in the beginning, you just want to be listening and observing. Because the big practice when it comes to this is decentering yourself. Mm -hmm. And so in those spaces, those are sacred spaces where people are doing the work. But if you come in too strong, too performative, it, it ends up having a bad effect. And uh, what I see happen a lot is then because, you know, you've got all sorts of different kinds of people in that group. I'm very patient with people. I'm, I like to take the time to educate people. However, that's not our job, right? Mm -hmm. Just because, you know, because a lot of this is unpaid labor, right? Mm -hmm. And so think about it from that lens of like observing, listening, 
you know, calling yourself in, really paying attention to your biases. And if you have a need to respond in those spaces, where is that coming from? And what are your assumptions you're making about, about certain issues? And mm -hmm. so start with your own work first. Don't burden other people with your work. Um, Decenter yourself. And that decentering is going to help you then create authentic relationships with people who are different from you. Because when you're decentering, you're coming from a place of curiosity. You're coming from a place of authenticity. You can be really deliberate about how you want to partner with somebody and not fall into the trap of performative networking or tokenizing people to say, hey, we need, you know, a person of color on our team. So let's just recruit this person. Um, no, you need to understand. And again, this goes back to what we've said in previous events is really you have to have your own why mm -hmm. when it comes to DEI. So whether it's tied to the business, whether it's tied, well, I would say first it has to start with you. It has to start with your own why and then you connect it to the business. But you really have to have that reason of wanting to change and understanding where you are now, where you want to be. And, and, and really keeping that center of mind as you're on that journey, instead of feeling, because we get a lot of feelings like white guilt, white shame, that leads to really behaviors that are not, not conducive to creating the change that we need to see in this space. So it's about being authentic. It's about being, I hope, Sarah, that that answers your question. I know that was a really <laughs> long answer, but it's really being deliberate about those relationships and being and proceeding in an authentic way, reminding yourself to decenter yourself. And I think just like also focusing in on the intention, right? And when I want to expand my network, why and what am I looking for and what bias have I allowed to enter in that has prevented my network from expanding without the intention and just being aware of what biases and things are happening or things around you that could be contributing to that. But yeah. yeah. And good. sometimes you won't be aware of it in the moment. I, I still do this, right? Where my bias shows up, I'm, I'm quick to respond. It comes from a place of ego and or it comes from a place where I think I want to help. I'm like, I'm a helper. So I'll jump in to help. And a lot of women are like this, right? And so you're like, oh, I have a solution to your problem. And then and then I will look back on it and I will be like, oh my God, I, that was really either performative of me. Um, and I think this goes for like as a business too, when you're posting things on your social channel, like why are you posting it? Are you posting it because it's Black History Month? Are you posting it because it's International Women's Day? How are it like it's it's again, it's not a check in the box exercise. If if that's all you're doing, you know it's performative. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're going to the easiest place, and I've again done this myself. I know on Black History Month, there was one time I posted a reel of all the black women that have inspired me, like Maya Angelou, like Tony Robinson, like, and so to me, I'm like, I'm celebrating black women. This is a positive thing. Mm -hmm. What I wasn't doing in that moment was taking the opportunity to do my own inner work of understanding where my gaps are. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that I, I, and I'll continue to say this, I, we always want to be one of the good guys. And so we're always aligning ourselves to how we are non-racist, mm -hmm. but to be actively anti-racist or anti-misogynistic or anti-homophobic, we have to actually be looking for the similarities between us and the system of racism, misogyny, all of those kind of things. Right. We have to actually be looking at where are where am I aligned to that? Because we were all raised in this culture. And so we've all internalized it. So the work never stops. It's always about looking at that. And once you start doing that work, it's not going to feel as unnatural mm -hmm. making true connections with people who are different from you. Because now you know, you know, where your blind spots are, you know, why, what has prevented you from making those relationships to begin with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, Sarah, if you have more questions, you're more than welcome to reach out to us. I just want to recap that if you are a hiring manager, you are a recruiter, you are in the space of having influence over the hiring practices, and you know that your company needs some help, please feel free to reach out to us. We do have that free uh, DEI evaluation that we are giving out right now. So you can contact us on jobdisruptors.com. You join us next week. We are bringing back Dr. Carrie Ann Peart, and we are very excited to talk to her again. And so you can look at that event on our site and then we will be releasing our January events soon. And so you'll all be getting invites for those as well. Um, if you don't already follow the Job Disruptors page on LinkedIn, make sure you do so that you can get updates of when we have new events. Jasleen, is there anything that you wanted to close with to make sure that people are walking away with today? Um, just that, again, remember that we have the blog post there so that you can kind of go through this in your own time. Do a little self-assessment of, you know, check all the red flags that apply to you um, and take an action, whether it's, you know, setting up that, that free call with us to kind of just explore this deeper and have a chat or whether it's to actually take some actionable steps today you think there's just one, just start with one. Like just, you just need to start. Like that is the main thing. Don't get overwhelmed by this work. Just start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think just start and know that you're not alone in this process. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to carry this all by yourself. There are tons of people who are actively willing and wanting to help us and tons of others. So you're not alone and the work is worth doing. So thank you all for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you all next week and in future events. And I hope you have a lovely day. Bye, everyone. Bye. That concludes today's episode. If you want to help us disrupt the tech industry to increase the representation of diverse talent, please register and subscribe at our website, jobdisruptors.com. Also, please subscribe and leave a review for the podcast and share with DEI champions and diverse talent alike. Here's to disrupting.